Hello and welcome to episode number 12 of the Awesome Algo podcast. And today we have a rather interesting guest, uh, Dan Goldman. He is a CEO of a platform called Altrade, which I guess some could say is a white label launchpad for creating your own decentralized exchanges. Or in other words, you could say it's a DeFi infrastructure for um, different services on Algorand. So as a preface for the episode, I would like to outline that as usual, I did my due diligence to research a bit on the platform. And uh, today we are would, would most likely just uh, do a an overview of Altrade and uh, the features it provides and some backstory behind the creation of it. And uh, of course, some interesting advices that Dan might give to aspiring software engineers and entrepreneurs who would like to get into blockchain development. And Without further ado, I would like to give the stage to Dan. Um, what I would like to, what I think would be great to start, is a you know a short overview of uh, your academic background or perhaps biography. You know how how did you first get into blockchain and the crypto industry? Just to set a bit of context for our listeners, and then we can do a dive towards uh, discussions on Altrade. Sure. Well, great to be with you here, Al. I appreciate. Uh... Uh, the invitation. A <clears throat> uh, bit of background about me. I'm in my mid-40s now. I started uh, with uh, with programming when I was like 10 years old. On uh, Back then it was in BASIC on an Atari 800XL. Uh, later on, I swear, you know, for my bar mitzvah money, I bought my first PC uh, when I was 13, uh, that was a uh, 386, I think. And I started learning Pascal from books. Uh, by the time I was uh, 18, uh, still in high school or 17, I can't remember exactly. I actually started one of the very first internet service providers in Israel, where I'm, where I'm from originally. And, uh, I, uh, at the time, we were actually running servers with uh, Linux. Um, I think it was like kernel 0.018 or something like that, you know. Uh, I can't remember exactly, but, you know, started uh, like, we, we couldn't even connect to the internet yet. So we actually, at the time, it was, you, you, if you weren't an academic uh, institution, you know, in the mid 1994, you couldn't even get connected to the internet outside of, you know, so we actually created our own Israeli internet uh, with internet technologies, but without being connected to the world. And then about a year later, we were able to finally get lines to connect to the backbone and so on. So that's a, a very long time ago. Um, you know, jumping forward a little bit, uh, in I got into the blockchain and uh, crypto space in around 2012, and I think that's when I bought my first Bitcoin, if I'm not mistaken, or something like that. Uh, in 2014, I um, uh, I started. I actually created a coin. Uh, this is before Ethereum. It says so. It wasn't a token. It was an actual coin. Uh, 
Yeah, so I've done all sorts of things in uh, in the space uh, since then. I've built some um, uh, trading technologies for institutional uh, trading uh, in 2017, 18, uh, but the market was a little bit early for that. And also winter came uh, in 2018 and was very difficult for us. Uh, so that's a little bit of a background, you know, uh, I'm, I have both the technology background and, the and the business, uh, as well. Uh, I've always been kind of like, um, you know, in between those two, but, uh, business, I'm more on the business side, uh, and leading some of the tech side, but, you know, I don't usually do coding on a day-to-day -day basis. I see. I see. Th th thanks for the introduction, of course. Um, you know, leaning a bit further towards uh, the path to all trade, I'm sure it's also a pretty interesting story, but uh, perhaps if, if you could also start by um, describing a little bit on, you know, what led you to start all trade and uh, how does it uh, differ from, you know, other um, DeFi trading platforms available in the Algorand ecosystem, or of course, you can bring up some other blockchain ecosystems here um and in other words uh what would you say makes it uh, special in that regard so in 2021 early 2021 i decided i wanted to kind of figure out i wanted to get into the DeFi space uh, i thought that it was uh you know very important um and it, you know, I took like, I don't know, maybe six months or so to kind of learn and understand what is happening in the market really and where I think it's going and problems, et cetera. And I, I realized that there were kind of two, there was a, a big issue that I saw uh, first and foremost, and that was, you know, most of the trading was still being done in custodial um, exchanges, you know, centralized exchanges. And I'm not a fan uh, of anything custodial. So, uh, you know, I looked at the market and it seemed to me like there's some movement towards DeFi, towards non-custodial trading through, typically through, AMMs such as Uniswap and, and similar, but on average, it was barely 10% of the total market volumes. So, you know, globally, uh, you know, and that was certainly not enough. And I realized that there's a lack of tooling, you know, proper trading tools uh, in DeFi that is needed in order to, to move more um, trading volumes into DeFi. <clears throat> so AMMs are not enough. You know, most of the trading in the world is done through order books and, uh, and those were needed and there weren't enough of them and not advanced enough, not high quality enough. We needed a, you know, a higher quality, uh, user experience in DeFi and, and quality of tools that wasn't really available mostly. So that's what I set out to do early on with old trade. Now, as many startups, uh, uh, go through, you know, we also went through kind of like a, uh, a learning experience. 
And as I kept building the, the, the product, which included, you know, uh, uh, limit order book uh, solutions and planning on AMM, et cetera. We were planning a whole suite of applications, leverage perpetuals, lending and borrowing. But as I was building it, I realized that a little feature that I had in mind early on for white labeling it would actually be the pretty much most important thing that we're, we, we could be doing. And the reason why is because, you know, all of these exchanges out there are you know, fighting with each other over users, right? So there are centralized exchanges and decentralized ones, uh, and they all spend a lot of money on you on customer acquisition costs, right? The the CAC for uh, for an exchange these days can be between two hundred and four hundred dollars, which is insane. That's unsustainable. And they're just, you know, spending this money and fighting between themselves on user acquisition, you know, to me, it, it was crazy. On the other hand, there are all of these thousands of brands out there, Web3 brands, that, you know, they have an audience and so they're doing whatever they're doing, right? So it could be an NFT platform. It could be a GameFi company or, you know, all sorts of DeFi uh, product, but at any point in time, their audience will need some kind of trading solution. It can be for generic trading, you know, just trade something. It could be also specifically for the token of that brand, right? To buy it or to trade it. So what do the users do? And what does the brand do when that happens? The brand basically tells them, nah, not here. Please go away. Go to Binance. Go to FTX. God rest its soul. Go to, uh, you know, wherever. Like Uniswap, uh, which is crazy. Now, because you're using, you know, the brand loses user retention and brand value. Uh, and the user has to go somewhere else, you know, so they're engaged with the brand, but the brand can't provide them with these basic tools. Now, Trading is no longer differentiated, right? So uh, if you go to Binance or you go to uh, FTX or you go to, uh, I don't know where, uh, you know, down the list of 400 exchanges, uh, the product is pretty much the same, right? So I'm not sure if you can portable, go to FTX anymore, though. <laughs> well, yeah, so God rest its soul, right? But, uh, but when you could, the product was the same, right? So it, it, it's still an order book um uh, exchange and they're all pretty much the same. The liquidity is different, yes, but that's a different story. For we can put it aside for a second, but from a technical perspective, the product is the same, and it's the same also with uh, with DEXs, right? So if you go to Uniswap or SushiSwap or whatever swap, it's all the same. So it's undifferentiated. It's it's generic. So if all of these trading venues are generic, then why does a brand have to send its users to those uh, uh, venues instead of providing value add services in brand? And that's where our technology for trading and our business model suddenly clicked. Suddenly it made sense uh, because we said, hey, we're going to build a trading tech infrastructure that enables 
any brand out there to instantly, immediately launch their own full DeFi trading platform with zero dev, zero code, zero resources. Five minutes, boom, you're done. And still earn the majority of the trading fees from it. So not only can they provide the service so to retain the user, not send them somewhere else, provide more value to the user, but also generate a new revenue source, revenue stream that they didn't have before. And that to me is, you know, the holy grail. That's uh, what thousands, maybe tens of thousands of Web3 brands today and in the years to come need and will need, uh, you know, as part of their business. So that's where we kind of shifted gears a little bit, shifted the focus uh, of the company and really dived more into, you know, in that direction. And that's what Ultrade is. Ultrade is a DeFi as a service infrastructure that provides a full white label solution that anyone, any company, any person can literally launch a full DeFi trading platform like that. Boom, five minutes and you're done. And you don't even need to jumpstart your own liquidity, right? We mentioned the liquidity a moment ago, but, you know, that's a huge, you know, mountain to climb. So we provide you a, a technical solution, but it's all shared liquidity. So everybody's trading with everybody. If you as a, as a podcast uh, uh, owner who has a, 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 an audience, if you decided, hey, I want to provide a uh, trading solution in my own brand to my users. You could do that in five minutes, but your users will be trading a lot with everybody else in the network. So it's the same liquidity pools, same order books, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, if you launched your own token within the network, yes, you would need to provide some initial liquidity, but for generic trading, you would not. Anything that's available within the network, including aggregation, by the way, in the AMM product, uh, where we're... Um, working on aggregation as well to provide liquidity from other sources too. So it's not just based on the liquidity that we will have initially. Uh, you know, you wouldn't be dependent on it. Your users will be able to get service uh, through aggregation too. So that's, you know, a little bit of a long overview of of where, you know, kind of like the road that led to to creating Ultrade and and what it is really. Great introduction. Um, I, I'll i probably play sort of a role of a kind of a devil's advocate once we dive a bit deeper to the architecture part. Uh, but uh, I think this certainly ex explains the premise a lot and the term infrastructure in this case. Uh, I, I could see a lot of benefits for platforms that uh, require, you know, trading capabilities or Certainly, if you think about it, then it is the case in a lot of blockchain ecosystems where uh, some platform contains a token or introduce some sort of utility, but essentially they just sort of kind of offload all responsibilities to a particular DEX and then uh, a user needs to do his own due diligence and look into that DEX and then uh, things can get complicated from there. And uh, I would certainly agree that, yeah, from the perspective of even user experience, right, that breaks a lot of flow and you, you, you basically force your users to uh, get embedded into uh, a side product that you don't necessarily own or control. On the other hand, though, if, if, if we look into the blockchain ecosystem in terms of 
market caps, you know, there's certainly uh, Ethereum is uh, still number two. Uh, they were one of the first to introduce smart contracts and uh, probably the biggest ecosystem of uh, decentralized applications at the moment. But uh, the other thing that I'm interested in uh, hearing a bit more is uh, the choice for specifically picking Algorand as the, you know, as the uh, as the base blockchain on which you are uh, building Altrade. So if we yeah. uh, if we can dive into it, you know, how does Altrade use Algorand blockchain um, and how does it give Altrade advantages in that regard? And if there are any prominent L1 capabilities that Algorand provides that Altrade utilizes, I uh, would be interested uh, for you to mention, uh, you know, those particular capabilities. Sure. So the choice of Algorand was, yeah, I was looking at the time at, you know, what to build and where to build it, right? And, you know, I looked at Solana. I, I, I knew Algorand for quite a while. Uh, I actually met Silvio Micali uh, briefly in uh, 2017 in New York. Uh, uh, he was presenting it and uh, presenting the concept of Algorand. You know, it wasn't built at the time, but... Um, and I spoke with him about it, and uh, I thought that, uh, you know, he was very, very cutting edge compared to anything else that I'd seen so uh, until that point. Uh, and to me, the technology made a lot of sense. You know, uh, security, scalability, it all comes together in in a way that makes sense and it had even when i got started on it it already had a very good track record in terms of stability uh and that's opposed to as opposed to um uh solana for example which i looked into as well which was a much bigger ecosystem in terms of use users and and mark and value and you know etc uh but it wasn't stable and that gave me pause, you know, I, I didn't feel comfortable uh, building on it because of it. You know, maybe it was a mistake, maybe, well, you know, it's hard to uh, hard to say exactly, right? But, uh, but we see still, you know, that it's unstable. So while it may get better and probably is getting better over time, I, I felt like it wasn't the right choice for us. And, you know, Algorand was still and was and still is, uh, you know, a relatively small chain in terms of users, uh, et cetera, and, and projects. But the combination of the technology uh, and stability, you know, stability and uh, and ease ease of development, costs uh, of transactions, and you know, it all adds up into. Uh, a compelling uh, value proposition. Now, with that said, <clears throat> it is a small ecosystem. We, I, I think it will grow uh, over time, but we we planned to begin with, we, the plan was to be a multi-chain solution. So even though we started with Algorand, we are uh, about to go to mainnet uh, in the next month or so, roughly around end of February, maybe a little shortly after that on Algorand. But next after that, the plan is to expand with EVM support. 
And once we have EVM, that's going to be Ethereum, Polygon, Binance Smart Chain, Arbitrum, uh, maybe AVAX, you know, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So that's planned for sometime in Q2. Um, once we do that, you know, I expect the, the you know, the reach uh, of, of the platform to be drastically, you know, it's more than uh, a... Uh, more than an order, you know, probably two orders of magnitude uh, bigger in terms of our, uh, you know, um, ability to reach potential customers um, as a B2B platform. So that's kind of, you know, where we where we started and why we started there and, and where we're trying to go, uh, you know, in the near future. Uh, I think there was another part to your question uh, a bit more. Yeah, maybe this, more. this was uh, in regards to um, L1 capabilities that Algorand provides yeah. into the box. Uh, just curious to hear, you know, if there's any prominent features that uh, you explicitly utilize. I suppose, uh, of course, you rely on uh, the Algorand stateful, perhaps stateless smart contracts in this regard as well. But uh, yeah, if you could just give a brief overview of... Uh, Things yeah, we that, use uh, fully full stateful, you know, uh, uh, apps, uh, Algorand uh, applications. Uh, I would say, you know, it's kind of like to me, it's all very basic stuff, right? I mean, uh, the inner transactions, the um, you know, there, there are a lot of capabilities mm -hmm. there, kind of like that I would consider as, as basic, even though they, it took time for them to arrive. But you know, once they did, when we got started, most of them already kind of came in, and and so we already started using them. You know, kind of like as a what I would consider to be kind of basic stuff. Uh, so inner transactions. Now we're even using the new, relatively new feature of uh, box storage. Uh, what else? Um, yeah, I mean, I I can't say that there's a like, you know, any particular thing that is, you know, mm -hmm. very differentiated. Uh, maybe compared to other chains, right? So, I mean, apps in 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 uh, in Algorand, uh, you know, applications act very uh, like, like you would expect from a very typical. Um, program in in certain ways, right? Uh, the storage is a little bit more complex with you know depending on on how you want to store it. Mm -hmm. uh, that's still a little bit tricky, but but ultimately it's relatively simple if you compare it, for example, to uh, to so you know to EVM uh, and other chains. I think it's pretty straightforward and simple to develop on it. Uh, which I like, uh, you know, it's very predictable, very easy to, uh, to understand, uh, the code and what it's doing and why it's doing what it's doing. Um, yeah. I, I mean, if you have any specific yeah, questions, maybe just out of curiosity, then in this case, if you could just recap, uh, the year in which you started, uh, on all trade, because, um, yeah, over the past, even over the past couple of years, I would say the, um, 
the amount of tooling in the ecosystem uh, has yeah. experienced a pretty significant growth, even comparing, let's say, making a D app today and making the app a year ago is, is a completely different experience. I'm yeah, just curious. I would say it is. I, I would say, we, you know, I started all trading kind of around September of 2021. I see, I see. Uh, okay. But, you know, the actual, it took a while to, to add before we actually started coding. So I would mm. say coding started only in, in early, uh, maybe early 2022 or late 2021, I guess. Uh, you know, until then it was a lot, you know, finding the people, raising some capital, getting some, some you know, research done, figuring out the, the initial product before you start actually coding. So by that time, there were some significant advancements, uh, you know, in the AVM and that was definitely very helpful to not quote unquote waste time and resources on you know using tools that prior to that were a little bit too you know cumbersome and um uh, re, you know you you kind of needed to reach from a to b through c and d sometimes which wasn't ideal you know uh, and to say the least Additionally, if I may ask, what uh, is the stack of preference for uh, smart contract development in this it's case? Just uh, because Pytil. It's just Pytil. Okay, yeah, I yeah. see. A lot I of... like Pytil in general. Yeah. Uh, there are other options in the market, but at the time, for example, you know, those bar like Reach, for example, mm -hmm. at the time, Reach had some, you know, more limitations as well. And, you know, uh, and we ended up just saying, "Hey, Pytil mm -hmm. makes sense to us," and uh, and that's what we're working with. I see, I see. So let's dive a bit deeper into um, particular features that uh, Altrate provides out of the box, and there will be some follow-up questions in that particular section. But uh, let's assume uh, we have a use case for a DApp creator or DApp owner, and he goes on Altrate basically. Uh, to create his own DEX for his service. So what sort of features can can he expect out of the box by just uh, deploying his own version of the DEX? So as a, as a you know, B2B white label partner or client, uh, there's the ad, an admin panel essentially. So once you have an account with us, uh, you have an admin panel that lets you launch the whole thing, customize and launch your, your entire DeFi platform. So you, do, you, you, know, you can define all of your uh, uh, brand parameters, you know, from your name to your logo, to your uh, to URL that will load the system to, uh, any color customizations uh, of the entire UI, uh, et cetera, et cetera. You know, what trading pairs you want to list out of everything that's currently available. You can create new pairs uh, if you want to, or for your own assets or whatever else. Um, and, you know, you can define anything from geo-blocking, you know, to decide where you want to provide service and where you want to avoid for, you know, compliance reasons uh what else yeah you know it's really a fairly customizable and will be even more so over time uh solution that 
it's just all an interface. You don't need to write a single line of code, not CSS, nothing. Uh, once you do, you get a uh, an embed code that you simply put into uh, you know your website, your app, whatever it is, and that's it. You're done. So it's literally in in five minutes you can get the whole thing. Once you do, we currently have two products built on top of it, <clears throat> uh, out of four that we're planning. Uh, those two products are the limit order book spot exchange spot decks. Uh, and the uh, the AMM. So the you know AMM everybody knows right. It's a, like a Uniswap, etc. So you have a full blown AMM. People can you know create pools, add liquidity to the pools, uh, and swap. And this AMM also does two more things. Um, it aggregates other AMMs in the Algorand ecosystem. And it also takes liquidity from the order book. So it's what we call the HAM, H-A-A-M-M, Hybrid Aggregating AMM. Uh, and, you know, providing liquidity also from the order book enables, uh, you know, more liquidity, uh, less slippage. Uh, it will facilitate also limit orders, uh, etc. And then, so the full order book decks pr provides a... Uh, you know, limit orders, market orders, uh, etc. And it's, uh, you know, it's basically like an uh, order book DEX you would find, uh, order book exchange you would find in a centralized exchange, mm -hmm. right? <clears throat> so uh, those are the core uh, products that uh, you would get from. Uh, you know, from from the uh, uh, the platform that you can literally launch in, you know, uh, about five minutes. I see. And what about things like, uh, say, KYC? And uh, are there any uh, particular sort of legal implications in that regard? Like, are you requiring, for example, that uh, the creator of a DEX needs to be present a representative of a registered uh, company or some LLC or it's essentially web3 uh, you rely on the wallet authentication and uh, essentially offloading the implications of using uh, the instance created through Altrade to the company that is you know or, or the no, individual that is managing it yeah no no it's a uh... I mean, right now it's still going to be in closed beta, so you know it'll be permissioned, etc. But mm -hmm. uh, the plan over time is to make it as permissionless as we can, and you know everybody's—it's a Web3 product. Everybody can run it if they want to. Um, KYC and AML, you know, for the end user, uh, we do plan on having that as a solution later on, mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> with what we call a compliance layer. So. You know, we still need to develop it. It's it's slated for later in this year, but uh, the compliance layer would enable a white label partner to say, "Hey, I only want to provide compliant, you know, trading." It, it'll work through uh, through a DAD, so you know, uh, we will need to integrate DAD solutions and enable uh, the system to uh, to know if it's if the user is KYC'd or not. And if they are, they can trade in a in a permissioned uh, 
uh, you know, uh, environment versus the unpermissioned. Mm -hmm. I see. Uh, so it's part of the plan, but it's not something that we are enforcing. We are providing an infrastructure mm -hmm. uh, for for the partners to use as they see fit. Yeah, that. I mean, yeah, that certainly makes sense. Um, to continue on the architecture, um, I suppose the solution is comprised from a a set of, I would say, um, backend. Uh, centralized uh, components i suppose uh, to, to optimize for the experience and then uh, I, I would imagine that you also have a uh, a web3 layer in this regard so some sort of uh, set of templates i suppose for the smart contracts that the creator would be deploying um whenever the, whenever he creates the new instance but uh, could you also just briefly describe uh, the overall higher level architecture of the system Sure. So different components work differently, right? So uh, some of it has a backend, some of it is smart contracts only, or some, it, it's always some combination, right? Yeah. Because, uh, you know, the front end needs some backend uh, to function, but, uh, you know, the AMM is mostly smart contracts. The order book requires some backend because, uh, there are certain limitations to what you can do with the smart contract. And, you know, for example, for the actual matching engine uh, right now, it's not feasible mm -hmm. uh, to achieve on-chain uh, with Algorand. Uh, by the by, when we go to other chains, depending which one, some chains might, might support it. Solana, for example, you could do it. Uh, but again, there are some, you know, other considerations with Solana that, you know, uh, may not make it ideal, so it just depends on the product. So the, it's a combination of the of those components. I see, I see. And um, you know, looking at the prominent DeFi platforms in Algorand, and I'm sure this is the case for a lot of uh, DeFi systems in Ethereum as well. Um, there's often a case when a certain chunk of the platform or entire platform uh, is available under some sort of either public or open source license. And it's often the case where, for example, the contracts itself are open source with a set of um, supplied references to the uh, security audits that uh, have been performed. And I suppose in case of alt-trade, um, security audits would be a, um, a very high sort of priority or a thing to, to keep in mind because uh, in this particular case, if we assume a set of different platforms and users onboarding into uh, a white label solution like that, and uh, that is also sharing the same liquidity, um, there needs to be um, uh, an extremely high guarantee of um, compliance and security in that regard, right? Because in some sense, it could be um, kind of like a you know an entry point for some malicious uh, people to try to attack it. And of course, it's a great choice to pick Algorand in this regard as well. I think uh, certainly things like um, denial of service attacks or things that are usually exploited by systems that are not well decentralized uh, could be utilized. But yeah, how do you usually approach um, security and compliance in regards to all trade contracts and are those available open source? So it's not open. Well, it's the contracts are open source once they go live on um, on mainnet. You, yeah. you know anybody can can see code, but 
but the uh, we before going to mainnet uh, we will go through an audit uh, we haven't finished uh, the work yet so so it's not done but uh, that's part of the of the plan for the next uh, uh, month and a half or so uh, to finish an audit and uh, before going to mainnet uh, and the code, you know, once we we are in mainnet, anybody can go and uh, and see the the actual contract codes as well. I see. Additionally, um, you know, as part of this question on the architecture, um, could you mention any interesting challenges that uh, were faced during development? Perhaps, you know, some very tricky things in regards to the infrastructure or some problems or nuances in regards to testing methodologies. I could imagine if you started in 2021, then testing or end-to-end -end testing of contracts using PyTeal uh, would have been a bit tricky, right? Because there was a lot of things not available back then in regards to uh, spinning up sandbox and some sort of Docker Compose environment or things like that. Well, those existed already. <clears throat> uh, we didn't have an issue with that. Um... Uh, you know, testing smart contract is never easy uh, in general, but, you know, so it's a, it's a little bit more of a manual process usually. Uh, it requires, you know, some, just some code and then, you know, uh, I mean, you know, kind of like a sending transactions and seeing what happened and trying to figure out where the issues were and so on it's it's not as straightforward as as you would hope um some of the complexities i would say you know we were looking to for example to to do some of the um you know the matching engine etc we were looking to do it on chain but it was just not you know we we did our best to do that but it's just not feasible mm -hmm. in the current iteration even with box storage uh based on certain limitations you know what it can what you can and cannot do it's just not not feasible um uh, you know there are some complexities in choosing the like if you need you know a connection between the back end and the smart contracts uh you needed some the right tools to kind of get the information from the chain, you know, from the logs into your backend and, uh, you know, took us a while to find the right tools for that and kind of put them together, um, you know, improve them a little bit to, uh, to do what we needed. So there's the infrastructure, I would say, you know, is, is usually where, um, it takes a lot of kind of putting together, you know, um, making sure that you're getting the information, uh, you know, and, and passing it through your, uh, your backend the right way. And then mm -hmm. getting back to the chain, you know, uh, th there's a lot of timing considerations, you know, because nothing is instant, right? I mean, a block takes right now it's 3.8 seconds, you know? So, there's kind of like you have to figure out the flow depending on what you're doing right i mean order book is much more complicated than an amm right so there are some complexities around that uh but you know if you if you have the right people and uh, you know what you're doing it's 
it's doable. It's just you have to be very uh, uh, detail oriented, I would say. I see. I see. And maybe as a last question in regards to things touching on the architecture, um, you know, it's often a topic for debate whenever there is a DApp platform that provides um, some sort of service that explicitly relies on stateful contracts. And uh, the topic of concern is usually who is um, supposed to be the manager of the contract, who has the rights to, you know, tweak upgrade the contract, change certain functionality, things like that. And some, some platforms, for example, uh, the NFD domains um, provide some sort of, um, I would say, a balanced approach in that regard where they do not force you to upgrade the contracts. They cannot update your contract uh, on your behalf, but they give you a choice, basically. So here's a new version. We added this, this, and this. If you like it, please upgrade the contract and you get access to this. If you don't, you can stay on the current version. Uh, I'm curious how does the um, how is it managed on the side of Altrade? So let's say a user created a new DAX, he deploys uh, a set of contracts to manage the order book, manage the AMM. Um, but what set of control does the I would say the Altrade manager accounts have over um, over his deployed instance? So, in general. Uh... Once you deployed, mostly there's not much that you can change. You know, if there will be new versions, uh, it may require, you know, maybe early on, uh, in early days of the mainnet, maybe we, there will be some upgradability, you know, to avoid situations where there's, um, you know, major issues with code or anything like that. Uh, but as a whole, I, you know, I would say you want to uh, avoid upgrades uh, once things are stable, and just you know transition into new versions instead. So <clears throat> if there's a you know uh, AMM application or you know a pool application or whatever, once you want to upgrade to a new uh, code version, it's better to uh, to just you know create a, new, a v2 v3 whatever it is and migrate the users uh, to those and that migration is um, typically uh, uh, voluntary uh, you know at some point you might say hey we are sunsetting v1 and you know don't stay there because you know we're not going to support it in the front end anymore uh, but that's a uh, typically a process you know that takes sort of a few months or whatever it is uh, we are, you know, that's where I want to go. But I will say early on, uh, you want to have some uh, some ability to make sure that, you know, um, code is uh, mm -hmm. uh, stable enough to uh, uh, b before you go there. But that should be a short period of time, not a long one. I see, I see. Yeah, I guess this, this, this is just mostly comes from uh, the position on because I, I think in regards to algorithmic system i'm not sure if there is a some sort of either best practice or a standardized approach for dex providers or white label dex providers to handle 
migrations of contracts because everything requires a, a manual transaction by the user. If you have, uh, if you look, for example, at the incident in uh, early 2022 when there was a hack in Tinyman V1, um, it was. I, I could imagine the stress that the guys had get, getting this uh, during you know uh, winter holidays, and then essentially they had to force. Uh, everyone who provided liquidity to go to their platform and sign manual transactions and basically sign off that thing. That's, um, uh, I suppose, one of the ways to deal, deal with it. And uh, certainly this is also coming from the limitation of uh, the smart contracts as a technology in that in general. It's, it's just a different paradigm that you need to get used to, of course. But yeah, I was just curious if... Um, uh, if, if there was some efforts to look if there is any proposals or ways to, you know, standardize some sort of um, methodology on how to deal with upgrades. Uh, but uh, it was, well, it's certainly not standardized uh, <clears throat> in the industry. Uh, I think a lot of common sense needs to be put mm -hmm. in place. You know, um, just for example, you could... Uh, provide a switch that just disables everything except for withdrawals, mm -hmm. right? In mm -hmm. terms of an AMM, just for example, right? So you could withdraw your liquidity <clears throat> and assuming that if you had a bug, you know, like what whatever tiny man had, you know, so maybe you could have just uh, disabled all functionality except for taking out your liquidity and then you know they could deploy a new version with a fixed version uh, where you could put your liquidity back if you so wished uh, so there are different ways you know to to manage such situations or prepare for them in advance in, in event of uh, but there aren't any standards there aren't any you know uh, we're going to apply as much common sense as we have as we can uh, you know to uh, mitigate potential issues uh but you know tiny men are real people not scammers you know uh so are we uh, real people you know so you need to so in an early version of of any company any product etc you could either say hey we are going to imp uh, employ zero trust, right? None whatsoever. Uh, but if there are issues, then there are issues. And we have to migrate completely. There is no way to mitigate them. Or you could say, we're going to incorporate some level of trust, some mechanisms early on to enable the company to, uh, you know, uh, mitigate uh problems that may arise um and maybe that's a process that over time reduces the trust more and more until you know everything is stable enough so that there needs to you know there's no need for such measures uh we're still figuring it out um and uh you know and trying to apply common sense that we think will uh, will provide the most balanced mm -hmm. um, approach that protects the 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 users, enables us to um, um, to be there in the case of of uh, a problem, um, and move forward. Yeah, certainly, certainly makes sense. Um, like the the reason why I mentioned it is that uh, folks at Algorand are pretty open towards. Uh, 
creators and founders in the community to uh, propose different arcs, uh, which is, uh, I'm sure you're familiar with this. Uh, it's uh, sort of like an RFC for different conventions and standards mm -hmm. in the Algorand ecosystem. So perhaps if uh, you guys at Altrate will come up with some uh, interesting and general generalist approach towards it, I could also imagine uh, turning this into an arc of some sort and, you know, discussing it with other folks and uh, basically... Uh, perhaps I, uh, you know, our, our focus is on. Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. The, um, the platform. If if this is a by byproduct of it, great. But uh, it's not a, a focus for us right now. For sure, for sure. It's just uh, one of those. I guess nice to have things. Uh, but um, all right. So I think we had a pretty good overview of of, of the premise. Um, I certainly haven't heard of anything similar. In Algorand ecosystem, I'm not sure about Ethereum, but certainly at at, at at Algorand, yeah. As far as we know, we are a world first. Now That's there great. are some, you know, comparables in in some ways, right? Mm -hmm. There's different ways to do anything, but we don't know of anything that is really similar uh, to to what we do, the way we do it. Um, no. And to continue on the topic of um, Altrade, how do you see Altrade and overall broader DeFi's, uh, DeFi space evolving in the future? Uh, and perhaps you could also mention uh, some interesting things on the roadmap that um, users should uh, expect for this year. Well, in terms of the roadmap, um, I mentioned earlier uh, you know, we want to. We yeah. were planning to go on to EVM. <clears throat> that would be a huge deal for us. Uh, the compliance layer, you know, probably late in the year, but that I think would be a big deal too. Um, we do want to add. You know, we we plan to add the. Um, uh, leverage perpetuals and uh, lending and borrowing uh, earlier on, but you know there was a lot to do and we just didn't get to it yet. Will we get to it this year? Uh, I hope so. And um, yeah, so I would say those are the, kind of the the main things uh, to expect sometime this year. <clears throat> In terms of where the space is going, uh, I think there's you know going to need to be a lot of consolidation in trading at least uh, it just doesn't make sense that there are all of these companies that try to build again and again and again the same thing and fight over the users it just doesn't make sense every web3 brand should have its own trading solution but they shouldn't be building it it should be a value-add solution that they can provide out of the box you know as a ready-made solution, and that's what we're, why we're building what we're building. Uh, you know, all trade is designed to bring this kind of disruption into the market, um, and I think we're going to see that happening. You know, and there might be others who try to do the same, uh, simply because the business model of all of these exchanges, you know, trying to build something of their own and then going after the users, it's unsustainable. It just does make sense. You know, it's, you know, kind of uh, 
creating silos of liquidity. So then they have to do aggregation, but then they have to attract the user. So anyway, you look at it, it's not doing the users any favors. It's not doing those companies any favors. It's just a, a broken market in my view and I think it's going to change and we're leading the charge. I guess in some sense it's also creating silos even within uh, the blockchain development space over um, the past many years I suppose it uh, became a very sort of specific domain within blockchain development where people are putting a lot of focus just into DeFi and uh, yeah I certainly can agree that there's a lot of sort of um, reinvention and building the same bicycles over and over again and uh, yeah. on an example of Altrate and uh, and other prominent platforms being built on Algorand, I think it's very important that uh, there is focus on providing infrastructure, providing utility, providing building blocks for other creators and you know aspiring developers to build on top of it. Why would you want to, for example, uh, if you look into the case of um, NFD domains, once again, I just really like the premise that they have that uh, why would you want to deal with, let's say, reverse lookups of the addresses, right? If there is already a service with which you can interact on the level of IVM, on the level of uh, REST APIs, on the level of uh, JS SDKs and things like that, uh, mm. that already exists and you can uh, build entire ecosystems on top of it. So I yeah. could certainly imagine a lot of interesting use cases arising when there is this sort of need for um, for providing, you know, liquidity, providing DEXs and things like that is alleviated when there is already a provider. And in the Web2 space, I guess you could look at this as an example with massive cloud providers, right? There is mm -hmm. a lot of infrastructures being built. No one is running their own software on their own services these days. Of course, there are people who still do that, but uh, we pretty much transitioned into a different space. But yeah, I could... Yeah, everything that is, you know, generic, anything that is, you know, you know, today, most people don't go and build a website with, uh, you know, straight up HTML, right? They use some kind of platform for it uh <clears throat> they don't you know you go to shopify you don't build your own custom you know web store you go to shopify or some similar solution uh you know if you want to sell uh, a product you typically go and sell it on amazon uh you know so all SaaS in general is a, a good approach to to many things and that's what das is DeFi as a service right uh, we didn't we didn't invent the wheel in that regard right we 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 looked at what works and makes sense in web 2 and what are the problems in web 3 and we said yeah this is a model that will solve a certain situation in web 3 with 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 trading where it's a generic service everybody needs it Practically every single Web3 user needs trading services at any point in time. So why would they have to go to a bespoke, you know, venue and try to choose out of hundreds of them when they all do the same thing instead of getting that as a value add service from a, a brand they are already interacting with? You know, it's it's a it's kind of like um, in the U.S., for example, you would find uh, many times. Uh, for example, a bank branch 
inside the supermarket. So, you know, you don't have to go specifically to the bank somewhere, you know, to, to you're just in the supermarket, you're doing your stuff. Oh, I need a bank. Okay, here it is right there. Or, you know, on the other hand, or when you go to all these, uh, you know, brands, uh, websites, and they say, hey, here's our brand of, of Visa debit card or Visa, uh, credit card, right? So it's a branded credit card, but they are not the supplier of it. They are just a branded version of it. Um, it, it you know, for the user, sometimes it makes sense. Uh, you know, they need it. They get an offer. They, they apply. But it's a white label solution, right? Of sort or or not exactly white label, similar. So all of these things work in different ways, and they they provide a, a solution that is needed. And this is what we're doing with all trade uh, in Web three in DeFi. And before we transition to uh, the final question of the uh, of the episode, and this is something that I usually ask. Uh, pretty much all guests I had so far. Uh, just uh, wanted to highlight one additional thing. You mentioned the um, the plans that you guys are having for the expansion to other chains, uh, particularly AVM, right? And there's a lot of things built on top of AVM that will become available to you once you do this um, uh, expansion as well. Um, have you have you heard of um, Subquery? Subquery? Yeah. I don't believe so. Just wanted to, you know, mention it because I, I think you guys might find this useful for for use, your use case. They have a, I would say, pretty interesting business model as well. What they do is they provide a an infrastructure layer for deploying your own custom blockchain indexers that are not tied to individual blockchain. In other words, you could essentially have your own indexer that can deal with. Um, let's say aggregation of certain transactions or can aid and simplify interactions with um, like, of course, Algorand indexers is, is, is generic, right? The set of capabilities it provides out of the box is enough to um, pretty much extract any transaction you want, but it's not tailored towards your own individual application in this case. So mm. A pretty interesting business model, and they also allow you to then deploy this as an API on their network, and uh, also get additional, you know, fees for the usage uh, of that API. You can also provide it um, as an external service. But yeah, I just wanted to mention that it's a startup from New Zealand. They support at least five or six chains already at the moment, and uh, I had a uh, a member from their team on the podcast earlier last year. So. Uh, yeah, if, if you need a custom it. indexer, just wanted to let you know that there are tools that allow you to uh, simplify this process a lot as well. Cool. All right. Well, and so go. to move on to the final question, um, what advice would you give to aspiring software engineers and uh, entrepreneurs who would want to try their hands on blockchain developments? Uh, doesn't necessarily need to be Algorand, um, talking just as an entry point to Web3 space in general. Well, <clears throat> the simplest uh, advice is to just do it. You know, I mean, if you're if you're looking to get into the space, you've you've never touched it before. Uh, you need to start playing around with it. Just 
do stuff. Now, there are different ways to do that. You can just create things for yourself, uh, you know, in your spare time while you're still working for uh, Google uh, or Microsoft. Um, or you could, uh, you know, if you have the luxury to uh, not have to work uh, right now and you just want to dive into something, then again, just dive into it, write your own, you know, figure out what chains interest you and why. Uh, do you want to build something for yourself or go work for someone, you know, for some company? Either way, you need some experience, so build stuff. It's, it's you know, it, it is complicated, but not that complicated. Um, there are different aspects to it that with higher levels of complication versus lower levels. Um, Algorand, for example, represents relatively a lower level of complication versus Ethereum, I would say. Uh, and again, different aspects of it are, you know, less complex. You know, if, you, if you're starting with stuff that relates to encryption and, uh, you know, uh, um, you know, the math aspect of it, stuff like that, it's a separate skill set that you would need and is not easy to learn. Um, but other aspects of it are easier and maybe more, you know, uh, generic or avail, you know, a skill set that's more more uh, uh, prevalent in the, in the market. So it really depends, but go for it, do it. I mean, hell, go to a project and say, hey, I'm interested in participating, helping, you know, I'll take tokens instead of a salary. Uh, just tell me what to do and I'll, I'll try to figure it out. That's one way to do it. Hey, if people came to me and said that, because I wouldn't be able to put them on salary right now if they're if they don't have a lot of skills already. But if they wanted to, you know, kind of uh, learn as they go and they want to assist and participate, sure, we could uh, we could you know utilize them, and they could get the experience. Um, that unless you have a more specific uh, subsection subset of of for that question, that's the first thing that comes to mind as as an advice on how to get into it. Sure. Yeah, I mean that's that's certainly a, I'd say the most concise and pragmatic uh, answer I got on this question so far. Uh, if you're into it, if you if you feel inspired or interested by technology, the best way to learn it is just to uh, apply things practically and uh, build simple hollow world and uh, sort of go from there. Uh, at the end of the day, like uh, for me, blockchain is, is very similar to um, the term deep learning which is sort of a you know a glorified term for something that is has been a, around in computer science for many years but you know you got to come up with new trendy terms in the industry to sell the tech from time to time but if you if you think about it blockchain is a glorified term for uh, very sophisticated decentralized systems that uh, focus on a very specific goal to accomplish in this regard sure and uh, with that, I think we had a pretty good overview of all trade. Um, I will include additional information and uh, references on how folks can uh, try out Testnet. Uh, to, to, to recap what uh, Dan already mentioned, uh, all trade is already available uh, for people to try it out. There is a Testnet version and there's a Testnet faucet that allows you to get some tokens to play with the platform. And uh, once again, Dan, thanks a lot for coming to the podcast i looking forward to see uh how you guys are going to go ahead uh, this year and uh, all the best with the mainnet launch i know how 
complicated you know security compliance could be for especially for things like smart contracts but uh, uh, i think it's certainly an interesting and unique premise and uh, wish you guys all the best with uh, with the lunch thanks man i appreciate it uh, thank you very much for taking the time uh, for this conversation uh, and uh, we'll be glad to uh, come back and share some you know news etc and uh, what's going on and uh, hey if you want to have your own brand of uh, defi at some point uh come talk with us uh whip up your own uh, brand in five minutes and uh you know have some fun with it sounds good awesome thanks man uh...